Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for coming. Um, yeah, we have a special announcement today. Um, we, we've been praying for a while that the Lord would just give us vision and direction for living streams and something that's kind of come up time and time again and uh, has really kind of landed deep in our hearts and it's, it's broader than just me, it's our whole team. Um, we really felt like the Lord was calling us to be a sending church. Um, and uh, we've been trying to figure out what that means. We've been trying to uh, discuss it, pray for it, prepare for it, lean into it. And we, we've finally arrived uh, last year at some point of a goal that we want to send out 50 long-term missionaries by 2025. And uh, long-term meaning uh, about a year or so, a year or more. Um, we, we believe in short-term mission trips and, and, and all the experiences those could happen, but we really felt like the Lord is wanting us to be a place where we cultivate missionaries, um, to be ascending church in that regard. And so we've been able to do that. Um, on, on the organization side, we've been planning, preparing, trying to set aside budget and all of that for that. Um, at the same time, it's been fun for me to get to know people, to sit with people, and for them to say, yeah, we just have this, like, calling or stirring in our heart about missions, or we've really been thinking about this place in the world a lot. Do you know anything about that? And I'm just like, ha um, I know all about that. <laughs> no, I don't creep people out too much. Um, but this is Brandon and Carrie Gurney, and um, Brandon and Carrie have been around Living Streams for a while, have been in the internship, been on staff off and on, and, uh, and served us really well, but have always had both of them, even before they were Brandon and Carrie, they were just Brandon and Carrie, you know. They both had a little stirring for missions, and, and uh, it's sort of what brought them together in some ways as well. But um, they're feeling like it's time, and so we are going to be sending them out as missionaries. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, so like David said, I'm a little sick, so forgive my voice. Um, Carrie and I are going to be launching um, in 2020 into Cuenca, Ecuador. That's a place that we've um, had some connections as a church for the last few years. And uh, so we're going to specifically be working with um, their worship department, with communications, helping them develop some online ministry to reach out to the surrounding areas that um, are sort of inaccessible to the gospel, but there's internet still there. And then we're also going to be working <laughs> with um, some Venezuelan refugees, a brand new college ministry that a church down in Cuenca is going to be launching. So uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing, how you can support us, how you can partner with us and pray for us, check out the um, address that's on the, on the screen right now, gurneysglobal.org. And then we'll also be hanging out in the uh, courtyard after so you can uh, little, learn a little bit more about what we're doing and uh, learn how to pray for us better too. Yeah. Well, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a little difficult thing too because these two are real treasure. Um, they have served us really well. I mean, I'm, I've gotten really close to Brandon in particular, and uh, we've, we've been able to see him do some really neat things, and Carrie's been um, growing in that as well and been able to bring a real sweetness. Um, so it's funny, because I've been praying to the Lord that we would get to send all the junkers out, um, but instead we keep having to send, um, send the cream of the crop. And, uh, you know, we got the Fritz's fam Fritz families over in Italy serving away, um, and I've been meeting with other families, but um, yeah, this one's, this, one's, this one's hard for me, for sure. Um, but let's pray for them and uh, bless them as they've served us well. We're happy to let them go and uh, bless them as they go serve, serve the body of Christ in another place. Um, Lord Jesus, we do come to you.
and we trust you, and we know that you are sovereign over all things. We know that you have plans in this world. We know that you're preparing and building and, and purifying a bride for yourself. That's called your church. And we pray that as these two go, Lord, they really would be able to strengthen the church in Ecuador. Lord, that they would be able to um, get underneath and lift it. That they'd be able to get behind and push what you're already doing in those places. We pray that they would really be able to spread your word. Your word that restores our soul. Your word that brings life and guidance and wisdom. I pray that they'd be able to do all that, not just with their words, but also with their life and their example, their hands and their feet and their heart, Lord. Pray that they would be really good at giving body and blood just like you gave to us, Jesus. That they would go there and they would wash people's feet, both figuratively and literally, Lord. And you would just help good testimonies to come, good fruit to come, and we'd all get to rejoice together. But we do pray you'd care for them well and bless them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, church, for all the support. Um, thank you for giving your tithes and offerings and gifts um, so that we can continue to, to forcefully advance the kingdom, as Jesus said, um, and be proactive in that way. It's really a wonderful thing. And uh, who's next? Who's next? Who wants to go next? Some of you sitting in here, you're going to be going, and I'm excited about it. And we don't know each other, but we should. And <laughs> I'm looking around, looking around, looking around. I don't know who you are, but you know. You and the Lord, talk it out, and then let me know. So we also have baptism coming up. If you have not been baptized, you have not been baptized. Um, <laughs> as Nacho Libre would say. Um, <laughs> then it's definitely something that is, is, is Jesus, you know, was baptized himself, and he's called those who follow him to follow him through the waters of baptism. And uh, it's not just a cute little ritual, but it's actually a, a real step of faith and solidifying in your walk with the Lord. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, if you're ready to say, hey, I just want to go Jesus' way, and I want to let everything else go, that's all you really need to know. I mean, the rest you'll learn more about as you go, but um, if you're interested, sign up for that. Uh, we got a Mexico mission trip coming up, and uh, yeah. So we're in a sermon series called The Beautiful Heart. It was kicked off last week. Um, the beautiful heart is the humble heart, the servant heart, the grateful heart, and the generous heart. Um, and uh, it's just so interesting to me because we're gonna be focusing on the servant heart today. And as I came in, I got the little bulletin deal, and I knew I, would, I knew I was teaching on the servant heart. Um, not a lot of other people did. I think we actually advertised the wrong heart online or something too, but it's okay. We'll, we'll live. Um, but as I walked in, I saw that we were spotlighting one of our staff named Arthur Lee, and um, I just thought the Lord was just smiling a little bit, saying, ha ha, because as I was studying all week about the servant heart, you know, looking at the heart of Christ and, and looking in the scriptures, I kept thinking of like, oh, that sounds like Arthur on the good side of things. <laughs> it was like, oh, I got a story from Arthur's life that illustrates exactly what that is. Oh, yeah, that, that's Arthur. And then I come in and it's like, servant heart, here, we're spotlighting Arthur. So if this message doesn't work today, 
to help us understand the servant heart, just go find this guy and hang out with him for a little while. Bam, done. You're going to get it, no problem. Arthur is a total joy, and he's teaching all of us what it means to serve around here. So anyways, to get us off on the right foot, the end goal of every Christian is to become Christ-like. That's it. If you want to follow Christ, yes, you get baptized. Yes, you, you invite him into your life. You make confession, and, and then you follow him. And the whole goal from that point out forward is for you to become Christ-like. Christ-like. If you ever wonder what's supposed to be happening, what does it mean to have good fruit coming out of your life? It's Christ-like, Christ-like. That's the goal, whether you're Kanye or anybody else. The goal is to be Christ-like. Doesn't matter where you start. Doesn't matter how unchrist-like you might be. When you follow Jesus, he leads you into a place where you are becoming more like him, more into the, the image of Christ, more Christ-like. That's the goal. And the name Christian actually means little Christ. So what does it mean to be Christ-like? The sermon series is all about that. We're calling it the beautiful heart. Jesus had the beautiful heart. Um, and it's our attempt to answer that question. We look at the heart of Christ, which is so beautiful. Some would say the heart of Christ is so beautiful, it's irresistible. Oh, how amazing and perplexing it would have been to spend a day with Jesus as he walked among us. To hear, to see, to feel the heart of Jesus expressed in humanity. I mean, he probably would have been like, wow, this is incredible, and whoa, this is so weird. Because it was probably so foreign to experience a heart like that. But I believe Jesus' heart is summed up well by something I picked up from familymatters.net. Um, it's actually in grace-based parenting. It's this, it's this organization that's trying to help parents parent better. And uh, one of the things they do is they say you should teach your kids what true greatness is. The world's teaching them that to be wealthy, to be powerful, to be popular, those are the things that are really, you know, going to be great in life. But um, we should teach our kids what true greatness is. True greatness is humble heart, servant heart, grateful heart, generous heart. That's what's truly beautiful. And, and I agree with that. And, and I mean, I'm just furthering it in to say this is what I really do think sums up the heart of Christ and what it means to be Christ-like. So we're unpacking that together. Um, they put, humble heart is a reverence for God and a respect for others. A servant heart is a willingness to take action in order to help someone else, whether they like you or not, or are like you or not. A grateful heart is an appreciation for what you have and an acknowledgement of who has given it. And a generous heart is one that shows great delight in sharing with others what God has entrusted to you. I like how Nathan uh, Bentley highlighted the word meekness in his kickoff of the humble heart. I think that word is really, really a great word. Strength under control, powerful and gentle. Jesus himself described his heart this way. It's always a real positive thing when you can build a sermon series and you can actually have um, Jesus saying, hey, if you want to know what my heart is like, I'll tell you what my heart is like. We have a verse where Jesus actually describes his heart. He says, to all who are weary and carrying a heavy load. Anybody? Weary, carrying a heavy load, whether it's your own or somebody else's? No one. That's amazing, liars. Um, <laughs> he said, if you're in that, in, your, in that spot, come to me. Come to me, and I'll give you a pep talk. Nope. Come to me, and I'll give you some constructive criticism and help you with your problem solving. Nope. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
And what an awesome song that came out of our worship team's heart as they wrote that, just resting in him, resting in him. That's really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to abide, remain in Christ. And that alone will cause us to bear much fruit. He says to link arms with him and learn from him for he is gentle and humble in heart. Our God, when he described his own heart, he says it's gentle and humble. And that's just not what we celebrate or we think cool. I mean, every song out there is talking about just look how cool I am. I'm so bad. I'm so awesome. You watch these football players and they make like 14 bad plays in a row, but they block one pass and then they're like, what's up, what's up? You know, they're like dancing all over the guy like there's something so special. We're like, oh, that's so cool. Look at their celebration. And yet Jesus describes his heart as gentle and humble. He was not harsh or severe. He was not condescending or provoking. He was not disappointed or crotchety. He wasn't in a hurry, and he was not easily offended, just like Americans. <laughs> just like me as a parent. <laughs> no. No. The humble heart. Of God. And what's so amazing about the humble heart of God is the humble heart of God is also in connection with the omnipotence of God. So powerful, creator of all, and yet humble in heart. Um, when I first started worshiping Jesus with singing, it might sound weird, but I mean, I went to church for a long time and never sang. But then there was one point where I really was awakening to a relationship with Jesus. And I, I, I really did at some point want to bless his heart and do things that I thought would, would please him. And uh, one of the things that I read in the scriptures and I saw other people doing was singing. So I thought, eh, what the heck? Let's give that a shot. And usually, like, luckily at our church in particular, it's loud enough to where nobody can hear you. But it's like... I just started singing a little bit, and there was one song in particular um, that the lyrics were just real simple. It said, oh God, awesome in power, oh God, gentle in love. And that just those, that kind of juxtaposition, those two lyrics together of awesome in power and gentle in love, just endear, it just endeared my heart to this God that I was beginning to learn about and know. Um, how could someone be so awesome in power and yet gentle in love. Because every person I've ever known that gets power, their heart doesn't go that way. It goes the other way, with power corrupting. And yet God, who had all power, was expressing his power in gentleness and love and humility. And the more I got to know Christ, both studying his life and then experiencing a relationship with him, it just got further and further in that same way. The humble heart of God is so beautiful. Um, Isaiah 40, I love the way a prophet who was kind of getting a picture, um, a word from God about this, this Messiah that was to come later on. And the way he describes this that God is he says, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And with all that power and with that mighty arm that he has, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who are with young. 
I love the way they describe the Messiah. So different from any other savior that you could imagine. In another place it describes Jesus as one who a, bru- a bruised reed he will never break and a smoldering wick he will never put out. Jesus as he walked full of all that omnipotence that created the cosmos. He walked among us like a lamb with gentleness and humility. He didn't break anybody. He didn't hurt anyone. His humble heart was so beautiful. So what does it look to like to have a servant heart? That's what we're gonna focus on today. And I think the humble heart, once you cultivate the humble heart, it's expressed in a servant heart, just like when you cultivate a grateful heart, it's expressed easier in generosity. So the humble heart leads to the servant heart. And the servant heart, I came up with three points because it's a good teaching uh, tool and I forget to do it all the time, but I remembered this time. So a servant heart is selfless in its motives, A servant heart is secure in its service, and a servant heart is sincere in its love. And we're going to unpack each one of those as we go. But before we do, I don't want you to miss this. And I'm going to come back to this at the end because it's that important. But we're upholding these virtues. We're kind of trying to get a picture of the heart of Christ. And as we look at it, we see it as beautiful. We see it as amazing. We see it as what the world needs today. We see it as so different from everything we see. And ultimately, if we're honest, we see it as so different than our own heart. And we can start to feel a little bummed or challenged. And the question comes, well, how can my heart that is so worldly, that is so selfish, that is so unlike Christ, how can this old heart, this young heart, this hurt heart, whatever it might be, how can it form and change into a heart that's more Christ-like. And the Bible is very clear on this, and I wanna be very clear on this. The only way to become more Christ-like is to be with Christ. You gotta spend time with Jesus. There's a lot of gurus out there that will tell you a lot of different things. Do some weird stretching, climb mountains, stare at your belly button, whatever it is. And you'll get more in tune with yourself. There's no doubt about it. And it is good to get in tune with your own soul. But it is not going to form you into the image of Christ. There's only one who knows the image of Christ, and that is the Spirit of Christ. And when we are in the presence of Christ by his Spirit, we are formed. He rubs off on us. We are changed into his image when we're in the glory of the Lord. And the trick is you have to do it daily and you gotta do it for decades. Being a Christian is not just, hey, say a prayer and we're good. We'll check in every year or so, Christmas and Easter. You're gonna have a very unchristlike heart if that's what you're doing. You might be great at church, but you're not gonna be like Christ. It's a scary thing to be good at church and not like Christ. But it's, it's a daily spending time in the presence of God, of Christ, and it takes decades. So that's, 
the challenge to us. So a servant heart is selfless in its motives. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 17. We're going Old Testament. We're going to get another Old Testament character because so often these Old Testament pictures give us such a clear um, vision of what Christ is trying to teach us in the New Testament. And in uh, 2 Samuel 17, we int- we're introduced to a few guys, and one in particular I want to highlight named Barzillai. Everybody say Barzillai. Yeah. When David the king came to Mahanaim, Shobi son of Nahash of, from Rabbah of the Ammonites, Makur son of Emil from Lodabar. Anybody? Lodabar ringing a bell? Anybody? Yeah? A couple weeks ago, Mephibosheth, Lodabar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the same guy that took care of Mephibosheth before David called him to his courts. And Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogalim, they brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, the people have become exhausted, hungry, thirsty in the wilderness. So we have this picture, an introduction of these four characters, one in particular, Barzillai, I want to highlight because the Bible highlights him um, in the next couple chapters. And all we know is that David is in a place where, for whatever reason, he and all of the people that are with him are exhausted, tired, and weary. And these guys get together some supplies, including Barzillai, and they give to the refreshment of David and his men. Now, what is happening is David and the people are outside of Israel, across the Jordan River, in Lodabar area, which is without pasture. It's the wilderness. It's the desolate place. It's like... Arizona. (laughs) Just kidding. It's the desert. It's way out there. And they were fleeing because David's son Absalom, who all we really know about is he was real bitter that his father didn't really deal with his family well. He had some daddy wounds and he had really long hair. That's all we know. And yet he had basically cultivated a, a coup to overthrow David. He wanted to kill David. He wanted to overthrow David. He did some horrific things to David's family. And David had to flee. David and, his, and, and the people that he could gather had to flee for their lives because Absalom had gathered these men and David wasn't willing at the time to fight his own son, whom he loved. And so David had fled and he had been run out of town and people had been mocking him. People had been laughing at him. People had been saying, see, this is what you get for the horrors that you've done. And so David is out there feeling shame, feeling betrayed, feeling hurt, and literally had no time to get supplies for the journey and had been running for their lives, so they're exhausted. And there's these men that come around, men that David probably interacted when he was younger and he was running for his life from Saul. But they come around, they hear the king is in need, and they come around and they give aid to him and to the people. And Barzillai in particular is mentioned because what happens is is they care for David, and, and then at some point, however long that period was, there's a war between David's men and Absalom as Absalom's pursuing David. And Absalom, his hair gets caught in a tree and he's kind of hanging there and he gets killed and, and his men get overthrown. And so David is now able to come back to Jerusalem. And set up as king again. And as he's coming back, it says in 2 Samuel 19, Barzillai the Gileadite also came from Rogalim to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. 
So for whatever reason, those other ones aren't there anymore. And this is what I love about the servant heart. The servant heart is a thorough heart. So the, all these guys came and they basically said, here, we'll help you out in this moment. But it seems like the other guys went back home. I don't know that. But what I do know is Barzillai stayed with David. He didn't just give him a handout and leave. He stuck with him. He cared for him. He made sure things were okay. And even when David was going back, he said, all right, well, I'm going to go part of the journey with you across the Jordan, and then I'm going to send you on your way. It's like you came to my house, and I'm going to walk you out to your car. He was thorough in his service, this Barzillai. And so he was going there, but Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age, and he had provided for the king during his stay in Mahenium, for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem, and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, and this is, this is pretty funny. First service was laughing a lot. See if this, this is, see what kind of age range we're dealing with here. How many more years shall I live that I should go up with the, to Jerusalem with the king? I'm 80 years old, bro. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? <laughs> Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? <laughs> Why should your servant be an added burden to my Lord, the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return, let your servant return that I may die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. So here is Barzillai, who's basically like taken care. He's got a willing heart. He's got a thorough heart. He's selfless in his motives because here the king is basically saying, hey, I need people like you with me. You can sit at my table. You can live in the palace. We'll take good care of you. You can be someone of esteem instead of being a person that just lives out here in Lodabar and we all make fun of because it's like Gila Bend. Sorry if you're born in Gila Bend. And Barzillai looks at the king and says, King, look, I'm good. I'm grateful. I didn't do this to try and get in good with you. I didn't do this to try and climb some sort of ladder. I know where I'm supposed to serve, King. I know what God has called me to do, and it's beautiful, even if you can't see that, king. And he tells the king, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to get you across that Jordan River, and I'm going to send you on your way with what you need to get home, and then I'm going to get back to the serving that I know I'm supposed to do. And if it's small in your eyes, so be it. I just love the way Barzillai reacts here. And on the other hand, he also says, why in the world would you try and reward me for something like this? This is what I do. This is who I am. It gives me pleasure to serve you. And ultimately, King, I'm not serving you to serve you. I'm serving you because I serve God. So why would you try and reward me for something that it's a joy for me to do? That is a servant heart right there, you guys. You found it. That's the servant heart. That is so un-American. <laughs> We're trying to climb every ladder we could do. All of our giving is strings attached. And here's this Barzillai. 
who knows what it means to serve. And he has to put the king back in his place and say, King, what I'm doing is beautiful. What I'm doing is service. And it's meaningful. And besides, you city boys, I don't understand all that singing and dancing you do. A bunch of sallies. No, I don't know if he said that. But I just love it. I love his attitude in all of this. It reminds me, honestly, I, my grandpa was a colonel in the Air Force. My wife's grandpa was in, when the, was in the Army career. And uh, those guys just got it. They understood service. You would thank them for their service, and they would just kind of try and stop you. Because they didn't do it so that someday they could, you know, tell the stories and be praised. And they did it because they had a servant heart. And this is what I see in Barzillai. He was someone that served with selfless motives. The second thing is a, a servant is someone who is secure in their service. Um, John 13 is another passage, and it teaches us about how to serve out of security. John 13. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, thorough in his service as well. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped in a towel around his waist, and began to wash his disciples' feet. In John 13, John is basically recounting this story that is not in the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and, John, and, and Luke were all written between 60 and 70 A.D., by those guys, John didn't write till about another 20 or 30 years later. John was one of the people that was actually there that got his feet washed. John is writing at the end saying, hey, there's a few more stories that need to be told. And there's a, there's a little bit of a spin I want to put on the stories of what I remember of Jesus. And he really emphasizes the deity of Christ. And so he has these basic elements of the story, but then he inserts things like, Jesus knew that it was time for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So whatever John is writing here, he's recounting that moment where he's sitting at the Last Supper with Jesus. He can feel the intensity of whatever's going on in Jesus' heart, and it doesn't sound like they were too clued into what was going on with Judas, but that was all happening. And John is writing the story about this moment where Jesus got up from the table. And whether all of them kind of looked at Jesus when he did that or if just John noticed that Jesus was doing something different. He's remembering the look in Jesus' eyes. He's remembering the emotion that seemed to be expressed in Jesus' heart. And the pace at which Jesus moved through these steps. And John recounts everyone. It was almost as if slow motion was happening. And John says, Jesus, knowing that it was time for him to leave the world, knowing that the cross, the betrayal, the pain, the agony, the real test was coming, and knowing that he had come from God and was going to God, knowing that the Father had put all power in his hands to do whatever he wanted, 
He chose to get up, to grab a towel, and to wash these guys' feet. That's what he did with his power. That's what he did in his most important moment. And there was something about what John is saying, that there was, Jesus had this understanding, this perspective. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was going from God. There was a security that Jesus had, which enabled him to serve in a way that was so meaningful that John wrote it about it years later, after living a life of service. And still today, all over the world, people are washing each other's feet. to show love and service to one another. And down in Belize just a few weeks ago when we were with all the, the, the men at the retreat, over 60 guys, I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, let's do some foot washing. And I was like, oh, this is going to be weird. They're, they're going to be like, what? No, I'm not touching that guy's feet. Ugh. But I was like, all right, guys, we're going to do foot washing. And they kind of were like, what? And some of them knew, kind of, you know, they'd heard stories or whatever, and some of them hadn't. And so I tried to lighten the mood a little bit by saying, okay, now we're going to wash each other's feet, and, and just because it's going to feel kind of weird a little bit and it's not supposed to, just when you, when you hold a guy's foot and you're washing it, just don't look him in the eyes, okay? <laughs> they like that a lot. And I was like, and then there's like a 20-second limit per foot. So... As you're washing it, just don't look them in the eyes, and then, and then like, make sure you don't go over 20 seconds, you know, and then switch to the other foot, 20 seconds, done. So you know, just try to ease it, ease it up a little bit or whatever. But it was a beautiful thing to see, all these guys that have, um, that have a lot of father wounds, that have been hurt by a lot of their male relationships. It's a very tough dog-eat-dog um, society and culture. And here they were washing each other's feet. And it's all coming back to this moment where Jesus, out of his security, was able, to, was, was able to debase himself. Was able to say, hey, I, I don't care what everybody thinks about me. I'm going to serve because I'm, I'm so locked in with the way my Father in heaven feels about me. And how do you get that security? Well, same thing. You got to be with Jesus. Jesus knowing where he had come from, knowing he was returning to God. And that's what we need to do is just really root ourselves in that security if we want to serve well. And then the last thing, a servant heart is, is sincere in its love. Really, there's no better description of the servant heart, I think, than what happens in 1 Corinthians 13 when it is describing what love is. And uh, Dallas Willard, who we're going we're gonna to get a bunch of Dallas Willard next year as we try and grow in our understanding of, of who God is and what he wants. Um, he says that love is to, is to will the good of another. That's the way he describes it. Basically, that's what love is. It's not a feeling. It's not something that you, you, you can get. It's, true love is when you are willing the good of another. That is what love is all about. In 1 Corinthians 13, you guys know it. Um, I'm going to say love is patient, love is kind, go through this thing, but, but a servant heart is these very same things. A servant heart is patient, a servant heart is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not comparing itself all the time, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered or offended, 
and it keeps no record of wrongs. I really think that's a key. You know you, know you have a servant heart when someone's treating you like a servant and it doesn't bother you. <laughs> it's never happened in my life. No. I mean, it's it, like when someone treats you like a servant, like, go get that for me. And you're like, what did you say? You know, I, I mean, and it's not, it's, it's again, it's coming from a place of security. It's not that you should just allow jerks to run all over you and, and, and take advantage of you all the time. No, it's when God's calling you to love and serve someone, if they treat you like that, you say, okay, no problem. No problem. I'll continue to serve you until you start to understand, until you start to feel what patience and kindness really feels like, until your heart can be softened by the love and service that I'm offering you, just like my heart was softened by the love and service of Jesus to me. So that's what a servant heart looks like. So how, how do we become more selfless? We spend time with the one who gave it all, who called himself the servant of all. How do we become more secure? We spend time with the one who is eternal, immovable, unchanging, who's called the rock of ages. How do we become more sincere in our love? We spend time with the one who is described as love and the author of love. How do we become more humble, helpful, grateful, and generous, like Jesus, we spend time with Jesus. Daily and for decades. <laughs> Daily and for decades. There's just no quick and easy fix. It's every day and it's every day. Let's prepare our hearts for communion as we close. Spend a little time with Jesus. Allowing him to maybe highlight some things in your life that you're, getting, you're doing well with this. Just allow him to search your heart and commend you for the things you're doing well. But then also to bring to mind the things that maybe you're not doing well and you can spend that time confessing both your sin and, and mistakes as well as confessing your forgiveness and wholeness. But we'll all take this together in the end, but just hold on to the body and blood of Christ and spend a little time talking to Jesus.
Paul writes this to the Philippian church. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or heart as Christ Jesus did, who being in the very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus, we do pause right here. As the world is spinning, as our to-do list is clamoring for our attention, our attention. We choose to pause everything, Lord, and to look into your face and to see into your eyes and into your heart and to say thank you. Thank you for your body that was broken so that we could be made whole. Please fill us with your humility. Let's take the bread. And Jesus, we thank you for your blood that flowed to wash away all of our selfishness. Please do that once again. Let's take the cup. Will you guys stand with me as we close in a chorus and have a little time of prayer up front? If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to, to partner with you and go on before the Lord. And uh, this is a lot of information. I'm excited that, you know, we have a little curriculum that's going to be going out to all the life groups, and you can unpack it there a little bit more. If you're not in a life group, we're going to be launching some new ones in uh, February, I think, so you can get plugged in there, but... This is, this is more important than Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or your PDP report. I mean, the, the, whatever you are will be expressed in the most beautiful way if you can get this stuff right. You won't even have to worry about it. But let's just spend one last time just kind of putting Lord on the highest place in our hearts.